Welcome to Sammy Joe's Podcast, the show that is all about gaining insights from top performers as they share what made their teams successful and translate those ideas into your everyday lives and businesses. Here's your host, three-time Olympian, professional speaker, author, and entrepreneur, Sammy Joe Small. Welcome to Episode 7 of Sammy Joe's Podcast, where I interview four-time Olympian and three-time Olympic gold medalist, Becky Keller. From Hagersville, Ontario, Becky began her Olympic journey playing in the first ever women's Olympic hockey tournament in Nagano, Japan, and ended it an incredible four Olympics later in Vancouver, sharing in her gold medal victory with her two sons on the ice alongside her in front of the home crowd. One of the smartest defensemen I played alongside, her hockey IQ allowed her to be consistent and make good decisions while she logged a ton of ice time. She was always the first person back in the defensive zone, someone you could rely on in all situations, and someone who epitomized being a great teammate. A graduate of Brown University, she was always a calming presence, funny, humble, and always willing to sit down for a chat. She never sought the limelight, but was the unheralded backbone of Canada's Olympic dominance on a world stage for a couple decades. I hope you enjoy my interview with Becky Keller. Firstly, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional Indigenous owners of country throughout Canada and pay my respect to them, their culture, and their elders, past, present, and future. Uh, welcome, Becky. Thank you. Sammy, I really I appreciate you making the time. Um, this is, uh, you were really the, one of the first people that I got to know when I joined the national team, and I feel like not really much has changed. We could chat for hours. Yeah, we definitely could, and I feel like you, you, Jen Botterill and I being the three, you know, three rookies together that year, uh, definitely had uh, lots of time together and it's been a long time now. <laughs> I remember actually riding, I think we met because we rode the train. Do you remember riding the train into practice yes. every day in Calgary? And then we had to walk across the McMahon stadium. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's really the first, <laughs> first time that I got to know. I saw you and Tammy Shuchuk on the train. Yeah. I was like, I think I train with them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you did. And you know what? It's funny because, I mean, I have some funny memories of, of riding on that sea train, which was never a big deal. And we were only a 10 minute walk to the rink, except when you got to those bitter cold days in, in Calgary, which uh, there was a couple I hadn't anticipated in that 10 minute walk. By the time I got to the arena, oh, it was I was so cold. cold and it was so open and the wind just came right through. I also yeah. remember you telling me after about me riding the train for about two weeks, um, saying, uh, I think the ticket master came through I didn't know you had to buy tickets there was there was like no turn okay. gate to get into and you're like no you need a ticket Sammy well you know the funny story behind this was I rode every day with Tammy and there there is a free corridor there was at the time a free corridor on that train we just weren't in it we were not in the freezer <laughs> so and and we knew that Tammy and I but we decided Tammy says to me you know what we're gonna get on the train we're gonna ride for free and if ever we get pulled over we'll just play dumb so I'm not so good at, at doing that stuff on my feet, but sure enough, she's really day, good at it though. Yeah, it was fantastic. So sure enough, one day the guy comes by, where's your ticket? And you know, Tammy, who is as English as you and I, a ticket, you need a ticket. And she totally <laughs> fakes this French accent. 
oh, I do not know. We are not from here. Well, of course, <laughs> she is from Montreal. So when she pulls out her, her ID, because the guy asked for ID, sure enough, she's from Montreal. So the guy buys the fake accent. I don't say a word because I'm just dying inside like we're breaking the law. <laughs> you know? So I hand him my Ontario driver's license and I don't say a thing. And the guy lets us off. Now, you're not in the free zone. You have to pay. So we probably got through at least half the season before we paid for, for a ticket. So then, of course, we meet you and we're like, you got to pay, Sammy. What are you doing? Right, like as if you guys totally had this down pat, right? <laughs> yeah, like we, we did. But I'm telling you that day, Tammy was like so cool as a cucumber. And when she pulled out that fake French accent, I was pretty amazed. because That I really is it. her superpower, is her ability to think quickly on her feet. And that just, yeah. <laughs> that showed right there. That's yeah, because so I was like, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. So <she> got <laughs> my face would have gone so red. I would have been the same as you. I would have been so embarrassed and yeah, probably like overpaid, paid, paid for everybody on the train. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's yeah, funny. I so, feel like we're really similar that that way. Um, I yeah. think I always gravitated towards um, your humor. I think your quirkiness. I think it was something that <laughs> probably is very similar to mine. Um, but you also so kind and really your humility. You never really wanted to be the star of the show, but yet you had this incredible talent. And I'm curious if that kind of came from your parents growing up or how that, how that was instilled in you and how you, um, where you got these incredible traits from. I mean, your dad's going to say that jokes came from him. I know it, but <laughs> jokes definitely, definitely came from my dad. But no, I, I think we all get that from our parents, right? And, and our parents keep us grounded. And, um, you know, if there ever there's a time where you're getting a little too big for your britches, I'm pr pretty sure your parents are the ones to bring you back down to earth. And, and by the same token, they're the ones to pump you up, right? I feel like they always kind of kept you on that middle ground where it's like, if you're not feeling so great about yourself, they, they help give you that confidence. But if you start to get a little too, uh, too big, like I said, too big for your britches, they bring you back down to earth pretty quickly. So, um, yeah, I would say that was sort of how I was brought up. And, um, you know, when you start to think maybe you're the greatest hockey player of all time, they, they'll let you know. <laughs> no, I can just bit, imagine your dad letting you know too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember the first time I tried out for team Ontario and, and we really had no idea what was out there, especially at the time. And I remember my dad was just kind of like, all right, well, you know, you're going to see a lot more hockey players than you've ever seen in your little small world. So, you know, like, don't, don't get too overly excited that, and not to say that he wasn't giving me confidence, but also giving me a bit of reality check of, yeah, we don't know what's out there. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, so you don't know, there's always somebody out there that's better, right? So. Well, and it's, uh, you know, I feel like you are probably grounded because they both seem like very grounded people um, with a great sense of humor. So obviously yeah. growing up in Hagersville um, from a small town, um, how did you find hockey or did hockey find you? And what was sort of the path from there uh, to Brown eventually? Yeah. So, I mean, again, back when we started, the path to hockey was a little different than I think it is for the kids now who it's just find your I mean, this is just a couple of years ago, right? We're still it's, super young, you and I. Yeah, we're super, super young. <laughs> this wouldn't have been in the eighties. Um, <laughs> so, uh, ringette started in, in Hagersville. And so my parents signed me up and, and largely because they put me in sort of the traditional girls sports, they put me in gymnastics and figure skating. And I just, it wasn't for me and I wasn't happy and they could see that. So ringette came and they put me in and I loved it. Um, but the funny story is my, my brother was playing hockey. I was playing ringette. They were under the same minor hockey association umbrella. 
but my dad was doing a lot of work helping, helping me and ringette. And my brother got mad at one point and he said, Oh, you never do anything for me. You know, you're, you're always doing, it's like a typical sibling. You're always doing stuff for, for her, never for me. So my dad decided to become convener of minor hockey in Hagersville. So he'd be working on behalf of both of us. Well, the funny thing is as convener, we were uh, in Glambrook, which is just outside of Hamilton. Uh, my brother was playing. So my dad's talking to the convener of their minor hockey who says, Oh, you have a daughter. We have girls hockey. So the funny story is that my dad trying to do more for my brother wound up getting me involved in hockey, um, which was obviously became more of the Becky show. for me. It was the Becky show for your brother, probably all the it, way through, right? It was a little bit where I'm sure he just like, what just happened here? Um, but that's sort of how I, I uh, got connected with hockey. So I played hockey and ring up until I went away uh, to Brown and with Brown, my parents were just looking for, you know, something to do in the summer. And they saw this hockey camp that I could go to in Michigan. So they thought, well, this will be fun. It'll be different. And, you know, we'll make it a little vacation and we'll go to this hockey camp. Um, and kind of long story short, the guy who ran it, his daughter was at Brown. Um, and so hmm. he brought in the scouts from Brown, Princeton and Cornell to that camp. The couple of the coaches were helping with the camp. And so they kind of scouted me there. And, and that's sort of how the ball got rolling. And um, how I wound up at Brown. So it was kind of fluky because again, it was different. Like the, our tournaments weren't scouted like they are now. And um, so I think had I not had that opportunity, it probably, I would have wound up on a different path. Well, but you would have been really the first person that I would have known. I mean, I guess Vicki and Schuler from the national team had gone down to the States prior to you. Yeah. Um, but you were really the next person, I would say. You're kind of part of that first wave when it was the unknown um, nobody really knew what school was like down there. Um, Brown obviously had a very strong team. Who else did you play with? And you, you played under Digit Murphy, right? Yeah. So what was right. it like playing under uh, Digit? And who were the other strong players or maybe players that we would know that you played with? Um, so first of all, I love Dig. Like she, she's a personality and she just, she loves it and she had a passion for it. And so we had a lot of fun. Uh, and she, but she was hard on us, right? She held us accountable. And I mean, I've never had a coach get mad and skate us like her. No male coach mm -hmm. ever. No, like she, she would be tough. Oh, I could only imagine her just losing it. Just losing it. And, and, uh, and the funny story is after we graduated the one night, she'd come back from a road trip with, with the next sort of group of girls. And um, they had had a horrible road trip and the NCAA rule was she couldn't skate more than twice in a day. And they'd already had a pregame skate in a game. So she brought them back from this road trip, made them sit in the, go back into the dressing room, put their gear back on all wet and cold. It had been under the bus and sit there and wait for one minute past midnight. And then she bag skated them <laughs> and sent them home. So she never did that to us, but that's sort of, you know, you guys that, knew that was looming. That could have been a possibility. Well, I don't think I've ever met anybody as passionate about coaching as Digit. I can just yeah. imagine that she would have you know, probably got to know each player really well um, and really got the most from each player um, at Brown, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. And it, yeah, and it was just, a, you know, it was a fun environment to be in and, and you could feel that passion. I mean, there was times where she'd come into the dressing room so pumped up for a game. We actually kicked her out of the room once. We're like, bitch, you're going to actually make us nervous. You're, you're so, like, she was jumping, right. right? She was so excited. We're like, get out. Um, but yeah, she was awesome. I played at Brown with Katie King. So, and as you would know, cause Katie played, uh, from 97 to 2006. So three Olympics, uh, with team USA. Um, and Tara Mounsey was a freshman mm -hmm. when I was a senior and she, uh, was on the 98 and 02 Olympic team until her knees. She had some, uh, knee injury issues that I think pretty much forced her out of the game. Cause she was an, an amazing, 
uh, hockey players. So those would have been the two sort of big names that went on to play. Uh, in my four years there, nobody else that was uh, that made the Canadian uh, national team, but yeah, those two from the U.S. team. Well, so. uh, Mountie, I think, even scored in the 98 Olympic final, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not sure if she did or not, but she was an incredible player. I remember playing against her. Um, and Katie King, I get asked all the time, who was the, the player that you were most scared of? And she just came down barreling down the wing and would just skate wide around the defenseman and bring herself and the defenseman into me every time. Um, And she had this ability to go high or go low. You never knew. And she just, she scared me every time she was coming down the ice. She was a really good player. Uh, But I knew you were friends with her off the ice. So, you know, I always had some respect for her. Oh, listen, I mean, I went harder against her because I knew what she could bring. And she and I had some battles. And and I remember one game in particular, like I'm going hard against her. I'm trying to shut her down. And I'm pretty sure she told me to F off. And (laughs) well, we were still great friends off the ice. Like nothing ever changed off the ice. But it's funny because back in that era, like you said, I was one of the only ones that went to school in the States. So there was no familiarity, as you may remember, with Mm -hmm. the Americans. And to a point where I actually feel like we didn't want to be caught saying hi to each other, like in the lobby of the hotel or so we would like, I remember being on the elevator once with her and it's like full of some of her teammates, some of my teammates. And we're both like, Hey, Hey, like we're, we don't want, we didn't want, we didn't want our teammates to see us saying hi, like, Hey buddy. Like I wouldn't give her a hug. I wouldn't like act friendly with her. So it was, it was kind of funny. Right. But well, and you know, I think that we- really changed the landscape for Canada-U.S. hockey, um, the, the rivalry, as you probably get asked all about, all about in the media all the time. Um, it was different back then because we didn't know them. They didn't play on our club teams. Um, you know, some had some familiarity, but I would say you were the, really the only one that knew anybody. Um, and if I remember correctly, at that time, sort of 98 to 2002, they got in more trouble um, for saying hi or um, you know, being caught with us. And then I think the, the tides reversed a little bit on that. Um, but mm-hmm. I can remember walking down the hallway and seeing an American, not knowing really who they were, just thinking they're another person in the, in the hotel and saying hi. And some of them like sh- cowering away thinking like, <laughs> who's looking at me right now. And, um, yeah, yeah it was a, it was a strange environment because you couldn't even look up online to see who these people were. You couldn't follow them. You couldn't, you couldn't be friends with them, despite the fact that they had the exact same lives as us. That's yeah. what was strange to me about the whole thing. It was. And and when I was pregnant and, and uh, going to have Owen, I remember my family doctor was like, do you know any other women who have done this? And, you know, because I was planning my comeback. And I said, well, yeah, there's a, there's a girl on the U.S. team that she's, uh, you know, Jenny Potter. She's had a baby and come back. And, and he was like, all over me. You need to reach out to her. You should reach out to her. I'm like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> I am not talking to her about this. I do this. not know her. Not that way. No way. Yeah. So, which was, which is kind of funny because in all reality, I mean, I'm closely watching what right. she's done and how she's handled this and, and the stories I hear about how she trains and um, but yeah, I wasn't going to reach out to her, which is, is that's funny. Had, had it been in today's era, that would have been the first person you probably would have looked to, but yeah, I mean, for all I know, she could have been on the team I play on, you know, right. Yeah. Outside of the Olympic team. So yeah. So it's changed life to a lot of people. It's much more what you would think of when you think back to like the 72 summit series. With mm-hmm. the, you know, Where the it's Soviet. just so different and so strange. They really were these strange entities. 
yeah, like we don't know them, they don't know us, and that's just how it is. And and so you build this hatred because there's nothing to balance it out. There's no well, I kind of know them, so I they're actually a pretty good person. Right. We, we yes. didn't want to know that, right? And they didn't want to know that. Yeah. It was more fun to just hate each other. Right. <laughs> so it certainly did make it fun back then, that's for sure. Um you talked about earlier about your first team Ontario camp. Um and you, if I'm correct, you didn't make it, right? That first time? Yeah. No. So how did you go from there? Um, that would have been prior to your Brown experience. How'd you go from there to getting scouted for the national team? Um, well, it, it's, well, to start with, I was a forward then. So I became a defenseman. Um, and that was actually Didge who, who did that, who made Oh, so uh, you didn't become a D until university. Yeah. And it was actually halfway through my third year. Wow. Uh, she had some recruits. <clears throat> who had fallen through. And so she wound up in a real shortage of D and I was always a more defensively minded forward, mm -hmm. um, which I would attribute to my very brief stint of time on team Ontario. The, the next time through, I did make it playing with Ken Dufton. And he was the first coach that really taught us sort of the defensive responsibility as a forward. And I really took that to heart because I mean, he had a real impact on me uh, too, in that brief uh, period of time, because he knew hockey so well, right? So you're all of a sudden you get this coach where you're like, man, this guy knows everything. Um, and so I became much more defensively oriented. And I think she saw that and she saw that I, I could have, I had the, like the transitional skating. Some forwards don't necessarily have the backwards skating. And right. she saw I had that I was defensive minded. Um, and so she asked me to go back and play D to help fill this gap. And the funny thing is, I remember thinking, this is going to kill my opportunity for Team Canada. I'm not a defenseman, um, but wound up doing it largely because of the whole math in the equation, which is I have three lines and I have three D. <laughs> so I'm like, ooh, that's a lot of ice time. So right. that's sort of how I wound up uh, wound up back there. And the first Team Canada camp I ever went to, um, funny because again, it was different. You just submitted a form saying, hey, I want to come to this camp for the 98 Olympic team. And I, so you guys had one. regional camps, right? Is that right? You had to, yeah, submit. we had regional camps. Yeah. Sorry, I'm going to grab some water. We have regional camps. And so she, I had submitted a form to go to this regional camp. She, uh, had submitted one on my behalf as well. I put down for myself as a forward and she put down for me as a D. And when I got to camp, they had me as a D. Interesting. So, and I honestly look back and I think I didn't ever have the skill set. I think to make it as a forward, meaning I, I don't think I had the speed, the, the straight ahead speed. I had the backwards and the agility and whatever to be a D, but I don't think I had this. So, you know, again, looking back, I think sometimes coaches see stuff in you that you don't necessarily see in yourself. Right. So um, probably the best thing that ever happened for me. Was... What's so interesting about that is most defensemen that were forwards at some point in their lives um, are the ones that join the play are sort of the rushing offensive defensemen. Yeah. Whereas I would have never assumed that about you because you were sort of a goalie's best friend type of <laughs> defenseman, the stay-at-home defenseman, um, yeah. the one that uh, is the last one out of the zone. And that's why it was interesting that, you know, you didn't see that in yourself prior to well, like, Ken seeing that. Actually, the funny, the funny thing with that is I, I think, you know, when I was first converted to D, I was more like that. And you should see me play men's league now, Sammy, like I'm up ice all the time. I, in fact, I played because like you don't like backtracking now in men's league. Well, I played one, I played one uh, of those NHL alumni games. Paul Coffey was my D partner. And I'm like, you're staying back. I rushed <laughs> every time I got the puck and he stayed back, which is pretty funny, but no. And, and the reason that I, I kind of took to that role was 
um, the 97 world championships was in Kitchener. So I wasn't on that team. I was still at school, but close enough for my parents to drive down and watch. And so my parents went to a couple games and, and Katie King was on that team and my parents had become very good friends with the Kings. So, um, so they went to a bunch of those games. And I remember my dad calling me and saying, you can make that team. Like you're good enough to make that team. But he said, here's where I see they have a gap right now. He said, they have a lot of offensive defensemen. He said, I really think that there's room on that team for someone who's willing to stay back and play that role. That's, and so I kind of took that to heart and went, yeah. And I got into my first camp and I realized, you know, Cassie and Heaney and Didick and Therese Brisson, I mean, that's the core of their D and they were all very offensive. So I thought, yeah, you know what, there's something to this. If I'm, I can make the team and, and if I play this role, see the role I played, there you go. That there was you go. The, the role I play. I love it. You got it right in there. And I'm sure yeah. now in men's league, the, your fitness would be so much higher than most of the guys you're playing with. So they're probably like, yeah, Becky, you take it. You go, you go end to end. I don't know if it is anymore, but, and you know what? It, it's not even men's league. It's more shinny that I play. So it's just right. like the game's going to end 10, nine. Then right. who cares if you give up a goal? So yeah, goalies, maybe they don't love me as much because I cut in front of the net with the puck, like <laughs> all sorts of crazy stuff. You're that and, person. You're that person yeah. now. Yeah. But it's fun. So <laughs> you don't have to be safe anymore. I just go and, and play and have fun. But yeah, you know what? And it, and he was right and it worked. And as it turned out, there was a need at the time for some defensive defensemen and which made paved the way for me and Pounder and, and Sistorics and some of, some of us to come in and play that style that, um, allowed some of the other ones like Heaney and, um, to, to do what they do best. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, um, I feel like in the era of sort of 2002, 2006, we did have a lot of defensive defensemen. Um, but it, I think it combated really well, the Americans potent offense, um, cause it was noticeable in 98, their power play was so incredible. And without you guys being in that role, we would have never been, um, so successful because we needed that because they were so good in that area. But I'm going to backtrack a little bit. You talked a little bit about Ken with team yeah. Ontario. When you came out of Brown um, after the 98 Olympics, is that the first time you joined the arrows at that point? Yeah, it is. So Ken had actually kept in touch through my four years. And it's funny because he made a comment once about, I don't do any recruiting. And I'm like, Ken, you called me for four years when I was at Brown. Like, what, what do you call that? <laughs> just keeping in touch. Um, no, just being in touch, yeah. just being friendly. It's, mm -hmm. Well, and as you may know, Ken had started the first junior team, right? So that year after we all played for him on the uh, team Ontario, he had a whole cohort of, cohort of girls on that team that stayed to play on his junior arrows team. And then he also had his senior arrows team. So that kind of started the whole junior thing too. Um, and I was one of the few that didn't stick around for that because I had already made my commitment to go to Brown. So uh, he kept in touch. And so my intention was that as soon as I was done my four years, I was going to come back and, uh, and play for him. So changed a little because I came back and made the 98 Olympic team. So I did that and then came back um, and, and certainly wasn't what I had thought of as my plan. I figured I needed to be back in Canada and playing for two or three years. And then I would make my way into the national team system. So it happened a little sooner than this episode brought to you by Armstrong and Small Eye Care Centre. Their eye care centre's mission is to provide compassionate eye care in Winnipeg, Manitoba by a dedicated team of professionals using the latest technical and medical equipment. Started by my grandfather, continued by my father, and now run by my brother Luke and his wife Gina. Their optometrists have been telling people what their eyes say about them 
for over 100 years. That's a lot of eyes and a lot of experience. You did get to play under Ken with the Toronto Arrows and playing in that system. I know for me, when I joined the team, it was really the first real, what I would say professional at the time, where the expectations were really high. Um, what do you think about that team made the Toronto Arrows organization so successful? Well, uh, Ken, for a start, I mean, you start with a, a coach of that caliber and it brings in players uh, of a high caliber, right? Like, um, I remember people used to get upset about the fact that, you know, the, the word was on the street that if you want to make Team Canada, you need to play for Ken. And, and not that that was necessarily true, but you really did increase your chances because he, sure. he turned you into a player, right? And teach you how to play the game. Um, so I think, you know, that's a start. And then he had surrounded himself, I think, with some really good people, big guy, Colin McKenzie being one. And, um, so the, you know, and then the players, the players that he had, I mean, it really was, uh, a huge chunk of team Canada uh, at one point in time. Right. And, um, I think while well, there was myself and, and, and Pounder and Haney, so you, you have half team Canada's defense on one team and then you came over. Now we got one of the goalies and, you know, we've got a bunch of the forwards. And, and so I think, you know, it really would be a professional environment when you've got that many players who are treating it professionally because it, it was, it was our job. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. And then you just start to learn how to win and you set the expectation that you win and, um, you know, winning can be a learned and a, a learned thing. And I think we really, we, we knew how to do it and we expected to do it. It was certainly a dynasty, um, you know, a different environment, I think, than some of the other teams that I played on where, girls came from so far to play that we didn't really hang out that much. I mean, their um, girls were traveling for an hour and a half to be there. It was, it was a, an exciting time to be on the ice with the girls. And I loved my teammates, but it, it really was a different team that to me just garnered respect among, amongst the players. Everybody was working so hard and sacrificing so much to be there. Um, but it was, you know, it, it was a different team and we had a, we had a dynasty. We were very successful. Um, but you made the choice of when you're playing in the CWHL, uh, to go from the Toronto Arrows, one of the top teams in women's hockey at the time to the Burlington Barracudas. So I guess I want to know how your role changed, um, and what you learned about yourself in that whole process of going to this now suddenly at the underdog team. Yeah. So, uh, well, to start, when I left the Arrows, I actually went to Oakville because it was still the NWHL. Oh, right. Yes. And yeah, Oakville so became Burlington. Is that correct? And Oakville became, basically became Burlington when it, when it mm -hmm. came back up to the CWHL. Um, and, and the decision was solely based on, I live in Burlington and I'm just about to have my first child. So do I really want to be traveling all the way out to North York four or five times a week, leaving a, a baby at home? Um, and so that was largely the decision. Otherwise I probably would have just stayed where I was. I mean, winning is fun. It's, right. uh, it's a little bit different going to a team where you're most likely going to lose every night. Um, and, and you know what, we had some successes, but definitely we were outmatched on paper for sure. And that makes it a, a struggle. Um, but we had Pat Coughlin as a coach and, uh, and he was fantastic too, and really built a team around what our skill level was. So it was a much different system. It was more of a chip it out, dump it in and, and play for your limited chances, right? If you're going to get only five chances in a game, let's try to make them good ones. And so it was a little bit different in terms of the way we played, but we had to. 
Uh, and the funny thing with Pat is he, uh, I had known him, he came on board to coach us because our coach had quit and it, we were a little bit up in the air. And uh, so he came on board to coach us um, and then has since coached for m many years as my assistant coach, coaching my kids' teams. Oh, no which, way. That's interesting. Which, yeah. And it's been awesome because, I mean, it's great for the kids, but really for me, uh, starting out coaching, um, and I've got this mentor who I can throw things off of, or he can take over practice every once in a while and I can go, okay, like let's, let's learn from how he does things. So did um, he have high expectations for you as a leader in that situation? You know, did it help you grow as a player being there? Um, yeah, I mean, it did because a lot, you go from the arrows where, Hey, you got three national team defensemen, like you can spread things out. And, um, to that team where I was the only player on the entire team, uh, that was even in this team Canada program. So, I mean, totally different expectations. And as you are well aware, when the CWHL first had come back up and started, it, it was, it was tough. Like we didn't have many players on our team. And at one point in time, I think we only had me and maybe one other pe person that were actual defensemen. So we had mm -hmm. some forwards coming back to help, we had whatever. So I remember tr coming off of a, a shift at the end of a game, the one game, there was about six minutes left on the clock. And I'm coming off and Pat said to me, are you okay to stay on? And I go, yeah. And I turned to go back out for the face-off and he yells out for the rest of the game. <laughs> <laughs> I took a six minute shift and it's funny cause I'm, I'm watching the NHL and when guys shifts get long, they start to put, put the counter up now. And it's like, this guy's had a two minute shift. Oh my God. I'm like, yeah, I took a six minute shift. I was in good shape that year. Uh, but I, I can remember rush. playing against you and um, you rushing the puck more than I would have ever seen with team Canada. Um, and, you know, coming down the wing and like two defensemen hanging off you, a forward hanging off you, you trying to get around them, just kind of backhand shoveling the puck towards me us, you know, probably getting a good shot, good opportunity away, us starting the breakout and then having two or three passes and you, the first person back on defense, back on the other side, which is like, where did Becky even come from? How did she get there? And you probably never just went off. You probably just kept going and going and going. Uh, yeah, there's some adrenaline. Well, I learned pretty quickly when you go into a game that's 20 minute period, stop time, floods in between like a real game and you only have 3D, that's when you don't rush the puck. When you have 4D, <laughs> When you have 4D, you do. We played Montreal the one night and we had 3D. And in the first period, I took off a bunch of times up ice. And I was like halfway through the first and I'm like, I'm done. Like, I don't know if I can finish this game. Like, So yeah, not the but kind of thing. Who did you have for defensemen? Did you guys have Kim McCullough? Was she a defenseman at the time? We had Kim the first year. Molson? And then Shannon Molson? We didn't have her the first year. Okay. We did. But that was like the third year, I think. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. And I'd have to go back and actually look at the... There wasn't, yeah. but there wasn't many people, just even bodies to go around. There just wasn't many bodies. Yeah. The, that first year, which is funny because that's the growing pains of it. And yet it was so fun. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, nobody ever complains about getting too much ice time, really. Right? Well, I it's, think one of the best so things that happened to me in the Team Canada program was getting to play at Stanford where... I mean, nobody goes to California to play hockey, let's be honest. And it was just fun. It was just, you know, there was no scouts in the stands. Some days we won, some days we lost. Um, and I think it kind of made me, allowed me to grow in obscurity. And that's probably what it was like for you. You got to be put in all these different roles that it was like, all right, uh, you know, I, I can't care what the scouts in the stands are doing because I, you know, I got to play D, I got to play forward, I got to play power play, penalty kill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. And for time. someone like me, 
I'm like, it's like you're quarterbacking the power play, which I mean, again, with the arrows, I would have gotten lots of power play time, but Heaney would have been the quarterback of the power play. Mm -hmm. If you're going out first unit and whatever. So, and with team Canada, largely it was penalty kill. So to be on a team where it's like, you're, you're going to be our focal point, um, you know, on D for the power play was, was kind of Becky Keller special. I remember coming across the blue line, taking a wrist shot through the man that's blocking the, the puck. So I couldn't hear it. And every, I want to say like 90% of the goals you scored on me were these wrister flubbers that came in from the point that I wouldn't have heard. And it's like, all of a sudden there's a shot and it's in the net. And where'd that even come from? But you had this knack of being so quiet about what you're doing. (laughs) Well, when you don't have a blistering shot, you got to find something sneaky. So you just sneak it in there, right? Hope nobody notices. I don't know. Keller, I guess. But you know, the beauty of that team was nobody else was in the Team Canada program. So you didn't have any of the sort of the, the, you know, sometimes you had a little bit of jealousy with the arrows mm-hmm. or you had that, you know, little animosity because it's like, ultimately we're going to go to Team Canada camp. And we're going to battle against each other. And I got to the, the team in Burlington and nobody else was even in the program, nobody else. And so they're all just really excited. I found for me and happy for me. And, and they'd ask me, how was camp? Like, tell us all about it. And um, so it was really a fun environment to be in just from that side of things too. And they were just great girls. And, and the funny thing is the difference was, I mean, I had two kids while I was kind of doing all of this. So when hockey ended, I went home, but every time they, they, the team hung out together a lot. And had that been 10 years earlier, I, I would have been right in there with them, but they always invited me, even though they knew I was going to say, no, I got to go home. You got the husband, I got kids. Yeah. And, and, but they always always did and and which i appreciated because you know they really were uh, a great group and i think well, a lot you can of them appreciate this out. i lined up the other day in rec hockey um in uh jana harrigan's four on four and i lined up yeah. against Lindsay vine playing forward and me playing oh. defense and i was like wow this girl is good who is this girl anyways former burlington barracuda stall uh stalwart with your team that i i feel like she went to ended up going to some camps and stuff but um, so good. I have so many of those players that played in Burlington are still playing four on four hockey, which is awesome. They still love it. Yeah. Because they loved it, I think. And yeah. And it's funny because Lindsay Viner, she was, I mean, she was a great feisty player, but I would hear from, from you guys, I'd go to camp and people be like, that girl is the worst trash talker in the league. And I'd say, <laughs> no, she can't be. She's just so sweet. She's so she's sweet so and so nice. nice so petite and, and no it can't be her yeah and as it turns out oh yeah like she she would just be vicious she game i guess yeah <laughs> but well you old- certainly grew as a person in burlington um and you went on to a four-time olympian uh you managed to stay on the the, net, the national team for 12 16 years something like that um yeah, so 98 yeah which is, well, which is so unheard of, um, especially for somebody in your position, um, where I feel like the D were sort of constantly being rotated in the national team, but there you were always there, always making the team. So I guess from your perspective, how did you manage to kind of evolve your game to fit into the different teams? And how did your role change at the various different Olympics? Well, I think for the most part, it really was the defensive side of things and the defensive role, and they needed that initially. When I came in, uh, the tough time was in 2010 because Mel was really changing 
um, the team and, and she was making it more into what hockey is now. And so she wanted us to be more composed with the puck and she wanted us to jump in and be the fourth point in the rush and all the things you see now, right? When you watch the NHL, you know, it used to be off the glass and out, Hey, that's a great play. And all of a sudden she, she was changing that in us. And it was tough, especially when you're at the end of your career and, you know, this has made you successful for this many years and now you got to change it. So 2010 was tough because, but it was either do it or don't do it and, and you don't make the team. So there was really no choice in the matter. But um, I remember going into that year, uh, we had a, a pre-Olympic tournament in, in Vancouver at GM place. So this is a big one, right? Because you want to you want to play there and you want to be able to play the big game there. And I did not play in the finals of that tournament against the U.S., and I mean, we had an abundance of players at the time, right? Because we were still in tryouts. So everyone was rotating through sitting. Um, but this time she was sitting me for a reason. And she said, it's my puck possession has to get better. And, and so she gave me a couple of these reasons. And, and so I go back to the hotel and I get my phone. I call my husband and like, I'm, I'm in tears. I'm not playing. But why not? Well, you always read into everything, right? As a national team member, you're reading into who's playing, who's not playing, everything. Yeah. Well, and when she gives you a reason that's not a, a negative reason, then you for sure read into it. And, and I, so I said to him, I'm not playing. He asked why. I said, well, because, you know, puck management has to get better. He goes, well, what does that mean? I'm like, I have no idea. Right? <laughs> so, and I, I just remember the phone going, yeah, and the phone goes silent for a minute. And he's like, uh, don't you think you need to find out? Like, you need to go to her. You need to sit down. You need to make her show you video and show you what it is that you're doing wrong so you can correct it. Um, so he will still say, if he was sitting here right now, he'd be like, I am the reason you made the 2010 Olympic team. And he's probably right. I hope he doesn't watch this. <laughs> he's probably right. So I, when we got back to Calgary, I went in and I said, listen, Malik, I, I don't really know, you know, what it is you mean. And so I would meet with her literally every two weeks, every couple of weeks, touch base. How am I doing? Show me video. How am I doing? Right. So there was sort of that accountability on both sides of it. And, uh, just to make myself get better at something that, and you know, it's tough again, cause I know this is my last year. Like I know I'm retiring after this year. So to have to make that big of an adjustment at that time in your career is, uh, is a challenge, but I mean, I guess athletes do it all the time, right? Because they have to. Well, and I think another big adjustment too, was suddenly uh, there is no Cheryl Pounder around, right? You had, you had not only played with her for a long time, but she was a really good friend of yours. And um, she talked about in her interview, um, about really being apart from a lot of the drama because she was around you and, you know, you guys really didn't know what was going on most of the time. You're kind of in your own world, doing your own thing. Um, and so that must've been different too. You know, you had had this relationship that was so integral to really to your success as an athlete and then that's gone. So maybe talk a little bit about playing with Cheryl, what that was like speaking of high and hard off the glass and then, um, how that changed. And how you had to change that relationship. Yeah, for sure. So um, aside from 98, which was the only other year that I had not played with Cheryl, she wasn't on that team. 99 on, uh, we'd come into camp and at the start of the year and they'd put us with different D, D partner, different D partner, different D partner. But ultimately, every single year, they put us back together. And I think because we were such good friends off the ice that we could always talk what went wrong. You know, I didn't hear you. What were you thinking? Like, and always in a, in a really respectful way. And, and so I feel like we played together really well because of that. And we enjoyed playing together. And, 
Um, so yeah, it was a bit of a change and just even off ice, you're right. Like we were blissful ignorant so often. It was fantastic. Like 2002, you know, we're losing every game to the U S I don't even think we had any idea. The rest of the team was ready to just pack it in. Right. Like so many people were so frustrated that year and we'd go back to our little apartment and we'd watch movies and we'd laugh. Like I've never laughed so much as I had laughed that year, just hanging out with pounder all the time with this little pub around the corner from us so we just wander over there have a drink and like yeah we really were in blissful ignorance and and I think because we were also very secure in our position on the team that year that October and we've since told Mel this they had one-on-one meetings with every single person on the team in the program and they totally missed both of us so <laughs> we, po- we both just went well it can't be a bad thing right if they wanted to say something bad they would not have missed right. us so Told Mel years after, and she couldn't believe that they actually just missed two players in their in their one. And both you guys, like both like two best friends that they missed. Yeah, the Bobsy twins, right? As they used to call us, and and that used to be the joke. We looked so much alike on the ice that if one of us made a mistake, you'd skate off really fast and tap the other one and say, "Oh, it's okay." (laughs) Right? (laughs) I hope the scouts thought it was her. Um, But yeah, so it it was definitely different just from even more from the playing perspective of the other side of it that year in 2010 and, uh, you know, not having pounder to drive to the rank and, uh, you know, whatever. So, um, yeah. We've certainly made changed more. probably the feeling. Um, also you had two kids at that point. Um, so that was probably very different in 2006. Um, I know that, you know, you were, we never really saw your family. We never really saw what you were going through. And I think looking back at it now, it's one of my biggest regrets is that I wasn't able to support you more, that the rest of us weren't able to support you more. But I think the construct at the time, and maybe you felt this, that I just want to do everything everybody else is doing. I don't want anybody to treat me any different. I don't want them to cut me because of this other thing, you know? And so I guess the question is, do you wish any of that would have been different? Um, and now how would you coach athletes that are going through that um, in the future? Um, well, it, it it's funny that you say, looking back, you wish you had done more because you don't understand what it's like to have kids till you have kids, right? Not at and, all. And yes. nobody, nobody can explain it to you. You just mm-hmm. you have to go through it. So I have to say that you are one of a large number of my former teammates that have been like, Oh my God, Keller, I had no idea because none of us know. And I wouldn't have known right? Like I didn't know what Wick was going through four years previous in 2002 mm-hmm. when we had Noah, right? Because why would I know that? Right. So I just think that's how life is, right? You, you almost have to be in someone's shoes for a bit to understand it. Um, you know, and, and it was tougher in 2006 because I was out there with a nanny, um, mm-hmm. Rosa, who was awesome. And she had just flown over from the Philippines and I, and literally just flew over. And then I took her to Calgary for the winter. So you can imagine she was, she was <laughs> welcome so, to the winter. Yes. Welcome. This is winter in Calgary. Um, and she was awesome, but also, uh, I was employing her. So I wasn't going to get to the weekend and say, Oh, by the way, like I want to go out for dinner and, and, you know, so, um, it, you know, became a lot because you basically just didn't have much free time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was times where I was taking Owen on road trips with us because I wasn't going to leave him for the entire weekend with Rosa, who was brand new to Canada and didn't drive and right all that stuff. So right. um, it would, yeah. So it, it became a lot that year. Four years later, when I had both kids, my mom and dad moved to Calgary with me. Um, 
And that just made things so much easier, right? Like if we had a weekend road trip, I did not need to pack the kids onto the bus, right? And take them and which was tough, mom and dad. Yeah, because I can remember in 2006, you flying home early often, you know, on the way and we would meet you at the Toronto airport as we're going overseas. Um, One time you even had, I think Owen came overseas with us at the Uh, front of the plane. That was for the world championships a couple years prior, but that year, no, every time we flew overseas and I think we were over there three times that year, I would fly Owen home to Toronto and then uh, meet up with the team. Uh, And the one time they had me and and I just left it to them. And so Margo Page was our assistant coach and she was awesome because every time we traveled, I would have to go down to the coach's offices and be like, Margo and and I always thinking she's going to think, say, you know, you're a real pain in the neck, Keller. <laughs> and, but every time she was like, come on in, let's get this set. So she was made it so easy because I felt bad every time. Like I didn't want to create more work mm-hmm. um, for everybody else because they were worked hard enough. Uh, but she would always help me and uh, get my flights booked so that I would fly Owen home. Uh, and he would be with obviously with Nolan at home and, and I'd fly to wherever to meet the team. So the one time I flew from Calgary to Toronto. And then for whatever reason, they had me fly back to Vancouver to meet up with the team to fly back to Europe. <laughs> so um, it was the only time I've ever been on a flight to Europe where I slept the entire time. <laughs> but I would say to people, because, you know, Owen was little and he would still wake up in the night and whatever at the time. And I would say to people, I, don't, I will be sleeping now. You do not wake me. <laughs> like, this is, this is my time. You never wake up a new mom. You don't you know don't. that until you're a parent, right? But no. So how would, how do you think you would now having gone through it twice, um, help athletes that were maybe in your program, you were coaching, you know, in the future? Well, I think the big thing would just be to let them know, you know what, my door's open, whatever you need, you know, I understand what, what it is you're going through. And really just that, that message of you're not burdening me. I, you know, you're not going to get cut because of this, as long as you're showing up at the rink and doing your job. And if you need help in order to do that, let me know. Um, because it is a lot and a lot extra. And especially if you're in a position where, I mean, for me, Nolan, my husband, he was at home running his family business. He could not move to Calgary. So then all of a sudden you're essentially thrown into the role of a single parent, which is eye-opening too, right? That, Mm -hmm. you know, you see it all the time. You don't really think about it, but when you have to do it for, uh, for a little bit, it's, yeah, it's, it's challenging. So I think that would be the big thing, um, is just to know that. Cause like I said, when Margo was so good with me coming down and, um, you know, rebooking my flights, it meant a lot. Cause then I didn't have that anxiety right in me. And, and the funny thing is in 2010, I'd bring the kids into the office sometimes. And, and that was a tough year for me. And Mel was on me that year, Mel Davidson, like on me, on me. I didn't know if I was going to make the team. So you can imagine that there was times I went home. Like, I hate Mel, right? Like, <laughs> you know, she's on me all the time, but every time I brought the kids into the office, she'd give them a lollipop or a candy. Right. So she was I'm, so sweet with them. Yeah. I'm taking kids in and, and Owen's like, Oh, I love Mel. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, she's making, she's making my life hard. So yeah, which was pretty she, funny. She so. knew the ki- who to suck up to. And it wasn't you. Yeah. It was the kids. I think she, she was did, like warming so. your way in there. Right. Yeah. You can't hate me too much Keller. Cause I give your kids candy. Yeah. So funny, but yeah, well, it I was definitely... incredible to see you go through it all. Um, especially now being a mother. I mean, it's, um, you just, you made it look effort- effortless, like pretty much everything else in your career, you make look pretty easy. Um, Pounder said something about, uh, you know, on the outside, you have this calmness, but inside the wheels are turning, uh, it's going. And um, we would never know that you're an iceberg. You know, there's more to you. 
For you sure. know what? And, and I was around Pounder so much. She would uh, have seen both sides of it. Cause I remember the one night <clears throat> I was flying back with Owen and I mean, he could be a challenge on flights. Like he was great in a car. It would put Lollum to sleep, but on the airplane, you don't feel that movement. And so as a baby, he was not very good on airplanes a lot. <laughs> and the one night <clears throat> in particular, we're flying back, <clears throat> excuse me, from, from Toronto to Calgary. And, uh, he was up the whole time and he was upset and he was crying, and he was arching his back. And, and he literally cried until he passed out, like just oh, passed out. Poor little so guy. Horrible. And I'm in tears because I can't get him to, like, it was just this horrible flight. I get off the plane and Pounder takes one look at me and she was like, oh God, Keller, like, <laughs> let's go have a beer, right? Like, let's, let's just go relax. And that's a good yeah, friend so right there. That was a good friend. So she, I mean, she saw it a little bit more firsthand and knew, um, you know, I'd get to the rink and I wouldn't have him with me. So it, it you know, it would seem different than sometimes it was, but yeah, but wow. they, they give me perspective. It's hard to just focus all on hockey and what's going on when, you know, you come home, you have other things to focus on. And, and it certainly does give you balance. I know when I had Kenzie and was still playing for the Toronto Arrows, it, it gave you no time to think about practice or the negative or anything you just were and I I almost felt like it was a solace to get out on the ice to have some of my own time too it was like nice to just start, sort of pursue your own self for a little bit um and mm -hmm. to be able to have sort of that balance in life as well that when you came home from a bad game she didn't care you know kids don't care they, no. <laughs> they just they want do. you there yeah exactly well and when I was playing for for Burlington I took the kids on the road with us the one time I think we were playing in Ottawa uh, and we we're at this rink where um, the stands were right behind the penalty box and the penalty box was just glassed in and uh, I took a penalty and, and I was mad about it like I thought it was a horrible call and I slammed the penalty box door and I'm in there swearing and next thing you know I hear and my kids are right behind the penalty box and I'm like oh god and I laugh I'm not swearing at the rep anymore right so, suddenly it's not I a big deal mom, I know and I can see my mom kind of smirking behind me like oh she was mad <laughs> she can't be mad anymore well now <laughs> if your kids see this and they're like 16 17 18 they can you know and they're swearing in the penalty box you're getting mad at them they can say mom you did that back then yeah exactly I'm kind of hoping they don't remember they were pretty little but yeah. probably if anything Owen will because he was probably five or six at the time right well, I have two stories I want to tell you about. Uh, I have one last question. So the two funniest stories, well, I shouldn't even say funny, most memorable Becky stories. One was a player of the game uh, that you received in Newfoundland um, when you were not on the ice anymore. And that particular, <laughs> that particular game, you were on fire. I think you scored, um, but it was what, midway through the third period, you got sticked really hard in the leg. We'll say in the lake area, higher oh, lake area. That Sammy, when, when you're done, unless you want me to tell you now. No, I want that story. So that uh, to me, I, that was one of your best games. And then you were there to get the MVP and you were nowhere. Nobody knew where you went. Okay. So this was our last game before the Christmas break. We were playing the Russians. And at the time they were all still using these big old clunky wooden sticks. So I think one of them kind of stuck me, but not, not that it was bad or anything, but I think a piece of the stick got into my sock. So next thing you know, I'm on the bench and it feels like there's a needle going into my leg. And I'm like, ow, ow, ow. And I can't get it to go away. Well, it turns out the stick had wedged itself in. I had a sliver that long embed itself into my leg that I had to actually go home and get our team doctor, Dr. Young, orthopedic mm -hmm. surgeon, 
orthopedic surgeon who had to make time for me because I have a giant Russian sliver in my leg. <laughs> he had to cut it out because it was so bad. But I couldn't finish the game because every time I took a step or a stride, I could feel this. And it was the craziest thing. I remember thing. us laughing so hard when we got in the dressing room. We're like, no, guys, I have a sliver. We're like, Becky, you got, every, you got player of the game. Like, where are you? Like, no, no, guys, you don't get it. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I forgot I got player of the game. All I could think, all I could remember of that story <laughs> was getting this big sliver from this Russian stick. Well, um, especially a stay-at-home defenseman who rarely, rarely is ever noticed by player of the game, stars, anything like that. And for you to get it that game when you couldn't even accept it. Uh, that was hilarious. The other moment that really sticks out in my mind is in, I think it was Medicine Hat, when you had your engagement ring stolen from the dressing room and how tragic that was. You had just gotten engaged. You were so actually, excited to tell all of us. Oh, it was both. It was the wedding ring too. I was actually married. Oh, you're, so you had just gotten married that summer, right? Uh, no, it was further than that because I had Owen there. That was 2006 year, 05, 06. Okay. Leading yeah. into there. So you had both stolen. Yeah. Yeah. That was a little bit, uh, that was a little bit tragic. Someone had gotten into the room and they had wiped out most of the wallets and uh, a little bit of jewelry. And of course, mine being the biggest one, because they, they got the diamond ring, which I've never gotten back. So these are replacements, which I was told in no uncertain terms, you don't get another set. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> so don't lose those. So because don't. of that story, I actually wore my wedding rings on my, I made a little pouch on the back of my goalie glove forever after that, because I said that I don't want to ever have to buy more rings. And that dressing room too was sort of apart from the rink. Um, you had to kind of go around and uh, I don't know how anybody got in there. I mean, feel bad for the organizers yeah. because we we're playing one of the boys teams, local boys teams. And um, anyways, I, I, I vividly remember that as just like, this was real life colliding with what was supposed to be our fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it was for sure. And uh, yeah, I mean, I was pretty stressed out about that because, you know, it's a pretty big item to lose. And ultimately it's, it's just an item, but yeah, it was uh, not an easy one. Well, no. last question after I told two stories, one really funny, one a little bit more tragic, uh, but what do you ultimately think um, made Team Canada successful for the three Olympic gold medals that you won? What was so great about that team that you played on or the teams, I guess? You know what, every, t each one of those teams was very different too. So I, I don't know if it, if, you know, if it just came down to believing in ourselves, putting the work in, I mean, it's a tough one, right? Because I look at the team now and, and they've struggled a bit in that, in that final game. And I, I mean, I'm not in the room to know what the difference is, but you can't tell me we work any harder than they do. So I, I don't, I don't ultimately know what those intangibles are. If it's, if it's just a matter of, um, like I said before, when I was with the arrows, we just expected to win and you learn to win. And, and even when we were losing games, we just had this belief that well, we'll win because we win. That's what we do. And, and so I wonder if there was a little bit of that too, uh, in that group that, you know, it becomes a habit winning and, and we just, we expected it when we got into those final games, because we almost always did. Um, and so I think, you know, you just need something little to, to make that shift. And, and I think you'll see it with this group of girls now, if they, if that little thing happens and they can win one, then, then that habit of winning will start to come. Well, and I think you're so, you're so spot on to say that it's not like we trained any harder. It's not like we were any better people. It's not like we were any different or had funnier people. Um, you know, knowing some of those, <laughs> I mean, we had some funny people. We had Jillian Ferrari on our team. Let's be honest. Um, 
but yeah, they have some great people and, you know, they work hard. And I think a big difference too, is that uh, hockey in the world is just much stronger too. Other teams are doing what we did back then um, to stay on top. So I think we were pretty fortunate to come at, around at a time that was, um, we had a lot of luck on our sides at the right times too, but probably the strongest team I think I was ever part of was that 2006 team where I just felt like we just steamrolled over the competition. That was probably one of the um, maybe easiest years, uh, but sometimes in the challenge, and I'm sure playing in Vancouver was something that was beyond special for you. So maybe end with um, what it was like to play in Vancouver and win gold on home soil. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. I had contemplated retiring after uh, 2006, but there was just this feel uh, when we were at the Olympics in Italy, like, you know, in 2002 and in 98, when you're at the Olympics, you felt like I'm here, I'm at the pinnacle. But there was something about 2006, and, and I think it's because we already knew Canada was hosting, that felt like we're, that it was a stepping stone to 2010. Mm -hmm. um, and that's sort of how the Canadian Olympic Committee almost treated it, like this is our stepping stone to 2010. And so I didn't feel like um, it was, the, you know, the, the be all and end all that year. And, and I kind of wanted to just can, and I wasn't ready to retire. So I wanted to continue and go. And you heard a lot of talk about how awesome it will be to have an Olympics at home. Um, but again, it's one of those things I think you have to experience to really get that aha. I, I see what you mean. Mm -hmm. I mean, Canada went crazy that year and um, you know, it was pretty amazing to just be a part of that. And, and uh, you know, to be in Vancouver, I remember walking back into the village one day with uh, Colleen's historics and we'd already won and we've got our medals in our backpack and some little kid came running up. Are you athletes? Yeah. Can, can I have an autograph? So we're like, yeah. And then this is just what, what's happening. Cause you're in Vancouver. And, um, and I remember I pulled the medal out to show this little girl and she just like her eyes and, and her dad comes running over to say, Oh my God, thank you so much for doing that. And like, it was just a, the whole environment there was amazing. And I think, you know, other Olympic games you have, you know, maybe your parents come, you have one or two people, maybe three people, um, but I think in, in Vancouver, for the most part, people were averaging like 10. Right. Yeah. It showed up. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had my mom, my dad, my husband, my kids, my brother, his wife, my, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it, was it was crazy who was there and everybody had the same story. So to have that support and um, yeah, it really goes beyond words, really what you, you know, you can say for it, it was a, it was a great way to end um, for me, my career and winning and being at home and having my kids there and my husband there, uh, a part of it. And I had the kids down on the ice at the end. And, um, and you know, that one moment where your kids always bring you back to reality. So Owen was five, Zach had just turned three. So they're on the ice and we won and the crowd, it's crazy. And I pulled them in to get this really great picture. Uh, I got my medal out, right. And the fireworks go off inside the arena. So Owen, who's five, he's like, this is awesome. I'm like, this is awesome. Zach does this. It's loud. I want to go home. <laughs> so there's always that moment, right, to pull you back into reality. But, right. you know, it really was pretty special. And uh, I got video of, of the kids on the ice shaking hands with Team Finland. And um, so some of that stuff to look back on where, yeah, it's, it's, it, was, it was pretty awesome. Well, a pretty amazing career, and I feel so fortunate to have had you as a teammate. And thank you so much for doing this podcast and sharing all these stories. I could laugh with you for hours, so let's do this again sometime soon, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Sammy. Okay, thank you. Yeah, no problem. Take care. Thank you for listening to Sammy Joe's podcast. If you have suggestions for guests in the future who would like to book her for your next event, advertise on this podcast, or to purchase her latest book, The Role I Played, 
please go to www.sammyjoesmall.ca.